Good afternoon. Can you hear me okay? Good. Okay. So uh, today's uh, talk is about samadhi, um, the enlightenment factor of samadhi. Samadhi itself is enlightenment. Uh, there's many things to say about samadhi. What is samadhi? And so forth. It's, uh, sometimes it's a kind of mystery, a mystic, uh, mysterious term, samadhi. Some people don't translate it as samadhi. They say something else like um, concentration. It is concentration. Um, but basically, here we are in the midst of samadhi. I use these, uh, the terms I'm going to use are my Zen terms that I'm used to. So I say Zazen instead of meditation. Um, zazen is Samadhi. That's all there is to say about it. Now I can go home. <laughs> <laughs> but I will. So, um, I want to just read you a few lines from um, one of my very favorite texts. This is called Dogen Zen. Dogen was the founder of our Soto school in Japan in the 13th century. And uh, we uh, rely on him a lot for our understanding <laughs> in our Soto school. Uh, but this, the uh, introduction by um, Shohaka Okamura, who you may know of. I just want to read you a few lines of what he says. He says, Impermanence is, first of all, negation of our individual existence or ego, which wants to live forever. To be the center of the world and to put everything under its control, the ego's control, facing impermanence brings about an existential crisis for us, right? Human beings cannot live without ego, and yet ego is the main cause of delusions, preventing us from seeing things as they are. As long as our lives are based solely on our ego, they become narrow. Ego makes it difficult to live in harmony with others. How can we deal with ego? Shall we eliminate it? That's what I wanted to say. We, when you read the texts, they all say, get rid of ego. Kill your ego. Blah, 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 blah. But actually... It's like Medusa's he um, head, hair. You cut it off and it just grows bigger. So, uh, how do we deal with our ego? That's what it's all about. <clears throat> um, so then he says, in doing zazen, our ego is neither negated nor affirmed. We just let it go moment by moment. 
Ego has no substance. It is a phantom-like fabrication of our discriminating mind. Um, sometimes when I'm sitting in the zendo, my z our zendo, uh, at this time of year especially, the light comes in the window and it illuminates the dust. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great uh, uh, metaphor for what's really going on. Sometimes I see it as, when I see it, I, I see the cosmos, the cosmos illuminated by the light. All these specks of dust that are illuminated by the light coming in the window uh, to me are like the, the uncountable cosmic beings in the, in the universe, in the many universes. And I think about how much, uh, how many billions of universes are between each one of us that we don't even have any comprehension of or can see. We live in a very narrow world that we think is very wide. But we only know what our senses tell us. And our senses are very limited. It's seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Um, and sometimes they work well, and sometimes <laughs> they don't work well. And they, they tell us a lot of stuff, information from the world around us, and then our interpretation is just imagination. So, uh, we are very limited, but that's not what I want to talk about. When I see the light, illuminating the dust, uh, then I see the dust as the dust of the world, which is, that's what we are. We're the dust of the world. And the light is uh, the essence of our being. And the essence of our being, which is light, is illuminating the dust of the world. So, samadhi is the light of our mind illuminating the dust of our world. The dust of our world, you can say, is ego, our human world, because it's simply a phantasm but we take it for real. It's not that it's not there. It is there, but it's not real. Samadhi is concentration. It is concentration. Concentration. In other words, uh, it's the opposite of eccentricity. Concentricity is the opposite of eccentricity. 
concentric means to make, uh, to unify, to balance. It's the balanced state. It's the state where um, uh, uh, we bring all of the elements of our mind together in harmony. That's concentration. If all the elements, of disparate elements of our uh, mind come together in concentric uh, conformity, the world, our world, <laughs> is not really round exactly. It's an oblate spheroid. That's what I was told in the third grade. <laughs> so it, it wobbles. That's eccentricity. So we live in an eccentric, ex eccentric world, which is, looks like it's going around in a nice circle, which it is, but it, it's not, you know, it's like this. And so we have the, as human <laughs> beings, we have some of the nature of the eccentric world. Eccentricity, but eccentricity is motion and creates, that's the creative process. We need eccentricity in the creative process. Otherwise, there's no creation. And that's how it works. There's something called the unwobbling pivot. When we sit in zazen, we, have, we take on the nature of the unwobbling pivot. We just sit up really straight, breathe. The breathe we let breathing breathe. We allow breathing. We sit up straight meeting the universe. We offer ourselves to the universe. And then the universe meets us halfway. Half and half is just a term, just a number. But the universe meets us halfway. The way we offer ourselves is the way the universe responds to us. So, the pivot, so we sit up straight and there's no activity, so to speak. So to speak, in the sense of moving around. And when the pivot leans over, that's when movement starts. Mo momentum starts. Momentum is about moments. The uh, mo the time pushing itself moment by moment. Mo it's momentous. <laughs> uh, each moment is momentous, actually. A great moment of our life on each moment. We think of events as being momentous, but each breath is momentous. Fantastic. So leaning over, eccentricity begins. When we get out of our posture, eccentricity takes over. And we try to cre create a stable um, uh, position in an always moving environment. We take it for granted because that's what we're born into. We're born into this eccentric world, and we try to make 
it concentric so that we can operate in it. Um, so stability uh, stability is samadhi the stable position um, and it's also called composure my teacher, Suzuki Roshi, always talked about composure. You should always um, always be aware of composure. Zazen is composure. What do we learn from Zazen? Nothing except composure. That's it. Composure, concentric, uh, concentricity, and um, stability. Um, so our sitting position is, is stable. Uh, if you sit with your legs crossed on the cushion, it's a triangle. And a triangle is a very stable position. In our, um, because you can't push it over easily. Um, so uh, when we have meals, in the Zendo, where we <laughs> do our zazen, um, we have servers. The servers serve the meal to us. And we're sitting on the tan like this, and the server comes along and puts down the pot, and we have our bowl, and they put the food in the bowl. And their position, they carry this big, heavy pot, their position is to be stable. How do They have to be got, go down on both knees if they if if they're serving somebody down on the floor, they have to go down on both knees in order to be stable. So sometimes they're holding the pot and they're squatting without putting their knees down, and you can just go and push them over. So if you're a Zen student, you should not be a pushover. <laughs> just thought that out. You're finding your stability all the time. So when you're walking, you're finding your stability. When you're working, you're always finding your stability. And this is the place where you, the center of your body is where your, your attention always is. This is where the breath uh, uh, expands and contracts. The contract expansion and contraction of your lower abdomen is the stable place where your breath, your breath and the center of your body come together. Right here. This is called the sea of key. Key is breath. This comes like the key of sea. But it, that's good too because it's, it's where the, harm the harmony <laughs> of your body and mind meet. So there, there are various um, centers, I'd, not Hindu centers, that's good, but I, there's the heart center and the head center and the hara center. This is the hara called hara. The, I, I like to call this the solar plexus. We, we know about the solar plexus. The solar plexus and the hara are, you know, pretty close. 
I like to use the term solar plexus because it's the sunspot. The sun is the center of our universe, and we are microcosms of the universe. We're, we're, that's what we are. Otherwise, we couldn't understand ourselves. We don't understand ourselves anyway. So this is the, the center of our universe. And um, the, the arms and legs are the satellites that revolve around the sun. So it's so important to know where we are. Where we are is in the center of the sun, the center of the universe. When we sit zazen, we're sitting in the center of the universe. That's samadhi, sitting in the center of the universe. So that the light of the sun, not the sunlight exactly, but the light of the universe is uh, being expressed through the vehicle of our body-mind. That's samadhi. That's why it feels good. <laughs> because we're in touch with our true body. We say the true body, uh, of a, our, our true human body is the whole universe. But we narrow it down to the ego. You say, well, the ego is who I am. But no, that's just an idea about who we are. And it's understandable. We can't get rid of that idea. You can try hard to get rid of it. I want to get rid of it. But you can't get rid of that idea because we have the idea that I am the center of the universe. My, my ego is the center of the universe. So we have to work with that. We have to work with that. Today, this morning, we were eating breakfast downstairs. There's on the table is a bowl with persimmons, and they're not ripe, <laughs> but they're beautiful. They're gorgeous, <laughs> and and that's uh, why they're there. But if you try to eat one, it doesn't work, because when you eat an unripe, this is European persimmons, not Japanese persimmons. If you eat a, a persimmon that's not ripe. Uh, it's poison, and you'll gag all day. So you have to wait until the persimmon is ripe, which means that it's almost, you know, it's really squishy, and then it becomes sweet. So the, how does the persimmon become sweet? How does the, the astringency of the persimmon become a sweet fruit that, that you enjoy? Well, we if and the persimmon is loaded with energy. That's why it's so beautiful. It's just loaded with energy. And you can feel the energy of it through its tight skin and it, and its uh the strength of its skin to keep that energy contained. So each one of us is kind of like a persimmon. When we come to practice, we're the unripe persimmon. And we're used to um, uh, using our ego, uh, seeing our ego as ourself. So, should we cut away, and we cannot cut away the astringency of the persimmon in order to make it sweet. We just have to wait for it. 
to ripen. And then the transformation happens. It's amazing transformation from astringent to sweet. That's how we see all of our Zen students as persimmons, unripe <laughs> persimmons. <laughs> and over time, through a lot of uh, hard practice and uh, exposure to the sun, uh, the sweetness, uh, trans the, the astringency transforms into the sweetness. Um, so sometimes a person would say, I've been practicing for 20 years, you know. How come I'm not a teacher? Well, some people take longer to ripen, even though all of the characteristics, 90% of the characteristics are there for being a teacher. But that 10% or 1% is not there yet, and we have to wait longer. So patience is called, practice called patience. Great patience. We want to advance in some way. It's the more you want to advance, the further behind you get. So help me. It's just, just practice. Just do the practice. That's all. Just do the practice is the fastest way without wanting anything, without desiring anything. This is the process of the light transforming the ego into something sweet and palatable. That's how it works. The more you want, the longer it takes to ripen. The more you think you are somebody, the longer it takes to ripen. There's a Zen koan about um, uh, the buffalo jumps through the window. <laughs> you can picture that. A buffalo jumping through the window. Every, the, whole, the, uh, the head, the body, the front legs, the, and, the and the hind legs all go through the window. But the only part that doesn't go through the window is the little tail. <laughs> Why can't the tail go through the window? That's the koan. <laughs> so that's not what I was going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have to write these things down so that I you know there's so many of them. Yes, um, we all know what a top is. I mean, it, we had them when we were kids, right? And as, and there's people still have them, but the top is great as a demonstration of um, samadhi because you take the top and you. Uh, has, has a string and you throw it to the ground and it's spinning and then it stops. It stops moving, but it's still spinning. And it's spinning so fast that it looks like it's standing still. But if you were to hit it, it goes scooting across the floor because it has so much energy. <coughs> it's total dynamic energy. So this is also Zazen. Zazen is like a top. Total stillness. You not move. It doesn't look like, we don't look like we're moving when we're sitting Zazen. But it's total dynamic activity of the universe. 
contained in this still body. The whole universe is pressing down on this body. And because of the balance of forces, we don't feel that. When you, the old airplanes used to, could only go so high in the beginning because of the pressures. The atmospheric pressures were, would uh, explode, <laughs> less pressure would explode the, the cabin. So they had pressurized cabins. They invented the pressurized cabin so that the forces outside and the forces inside are equal. And you can sit there and eat your dinner and watch the TV without any problem because you, so that's what Zazen is like. You equalize the forces inside and outside because you, when you sit, you collect all that energy in a tight little bundle. And so that's called great dynamic activity of Zazen in stillness. It's not just limpy lazy. It's when you sit up straight, you collect all that energy. And the energy is filling you totally. And you're totally present. In serenity. Because there's nothing left out. And it's ease, totally, total ease, total relaxation. I don't like to use the word relaxation. I don't, it's not wrong, but when I say to somebody in Zazen, you should re relax, then they go, oh, and lose their posture. So we wanna, I want people to keep your posture. So I say ease rather than relax. It's easy. You know, when you sit with good posture, <laughs> it looks like a statue. And if, but if somebody comes along and bumps your arm, just the arm moves. If we're tense, then when the person comes and moves your arm, the whole body falls over like a statue. So sitting is not like a statue. It's like a monkey. It's like a puppet. You move the arm of a puppet and just the arm moves. It's all, each part of the body is independent. Independent and connected through various strings like a puppet. <laughs> and flexible, total flexibility. Total flexibility, like, yes. And then you have ease, have ease. So knowing just the right amount, you refine your, your posture so that you use just the amount, right amount of effort to do the most work. They call it the conservation of energy, of zazen. <laughs> I call it that. So you, you, you find the lower back, not everybody, I want, this is important, but I'm going to say you, you find the lower back forward and lift up your sternum. And when you do either one of those, you realize that they're both connected. And that's called straight. The, cur the curvature of the spine is normal. Straight back is not normal. 
in some people it is. So I want to say that when I t talk about zazen posture, I'm talking about the ideal. Everyone has a variation because of, of your what, what you're capable of doing, the restrictions you have physically. So you know what the ideal is, and then you work. Y you say, well, I can't do that, but I can do this. And, and you find your posture knowing what the, what the ideal is and knowing what is capable you are capable of doing. And when you find what you are capable of doing, and you do that wholeheartedly, it's, it's the same. So someone may be find it very easy to sit in the full lotus for all day and say, boy, that guy's really good or something. But actually, that's just that person's capability. Um, we, we used to have a woman in a wheelchair that used to come every morning. She would come down the street at 5 o'clock in the morning in her wheelchair and said, Zazen. And She's like this, you know. But finding her zen, zazen posture with this, it was her posture. And uh, she was, gr uh, that was like, uh, um, uh, um, doing her, her best wholeheartedly with what she had. That's uh, that's the practice. Is doing wholeheartedly what you have, not comparing yourself to somebody else, not saying I should be doing what they're doing or something. Each one of us has our own capabilities and should be, um, but doing your best with what you have. That's that's the practice, not trying to imitate somebody else. If we can do that, then everybody's respecting everybody else. And uh, everything works. So it's not competitive. So that woman in the wheelchair was very inspiring. The people who have the hardest time are the most inspiring. And the people who have the hardest time um, are get the most benefit. if you want to talk about benefit. <laughs> so um, I want to talk a little bit about light again. Um, Master Hung Jir, uh, who Manshi Shogaku in Japanese, um, who lived around the sixth, 17th century in, in China, um, talked about silent illumination. Um, that zazen is silent illumination. Because when we sit, we allow the light of the mind to, to freely shine. Because the light of the mind is, is mostly covered with dust of ego. And when the dust of ego is um, transformed, I don't want to say gotten rid of, because you can't get rid of it. it you can only transform it. <laughs> so the light is like that. Light is transformative. 
we have to be careful how we uh, talk about things because um, uh, even if ego is evil, it's still part of us. We live in a world, uh, we live in a dualistic world where good and evil, right and wrong, uh, like and dislike, love and hate, a world of opposites. And so we look at our opposite and we say that's bad or wrong. In a sense, it is. It doesn't mean that there's no bad or wrong, right or wrong. There is right or wrong. But right or wrong does not, um, you can't make everything right by eliminating wrong. Can't do it. We've been trying for centuries to make everything right by el trying to eliminate wrong. And we've tried to, those people who like wrong are trying to eliminate right in order to make everything wrong. So it's irre irreconcilable that way. So we have to take our ego and respect it. We have to respect our, our delusion. Delusion is an aspect of enlightenment. The dust, we have to take care of the dust. I like these um, <laughs> um, electric, or no, these motorized um, uh, gardener, gardening tools. You know, ah, and you're moving the dust from this place to that place. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great solution. So we ha what do we do with the dust? That's our, that's our question. That's our big koan. What do we do with the dust? W well, it's what do we do with the garbage, right? Garbage, ooh, ooh. but garbage is really important. Without garbage, uh, it's really hard to grow the crops. So we've learned how to, how to take the garbage and turn it into sweet compost. I used to do a lot of gardening. When I first um, opened the Zendo, we had a big, in Berkeley, we had a big yard, really big yard, and I spent all my time in that garden making compost and growing crops. And the most interesting part, the most um, fulfilling part, was not the crops, but the compost, turning garbage into compost, into sweetness. And when you smell it, it's wonderful. So how do we turn our ego into something beneficial instead of blaming our ego and our problems? That's good. So. The light of the mind transforms the ego. So there's a transformation progress, transformation uh, process going on in zazen. It's slow. I remember Suzuki Roshi saying, uh, while we were sitting, he's saying, "You are like loaves baking in the oven." 
slowly baking in the oven, uh, turning, um, he didn't say this, but uh, turning dough into bread, into something that you can, that, that's uh, beneficial. So that's the process of zazen. You don't get anything from zazen. It's just the process of allowing the light, which we already have, which is our basic nature, to transform the dust into something beneficial. And when and our um, uh, um, the problems, the problems that are created by our ego, uh, we um, uh, compost. We put them around the tree in order to make it grow better. So everything is beneficial if we know how to use it. The ego is beneficial if we know how to use it. Instead of you know, instead of cutting off some part of our body or mind or that we're born with in order to um, uh, make it easier to do something, doesn't make sense. So, uh, Master uh, um, uh, Wanchi. As I, um, I, when he has these wonderf wonderful phrases, and the one that I really like, he says, take step, step into the center of the circle where light comes forth. That's Zazen. So, uh, you know, when you read uh, the accounts of monks in the early days of Buddhism, where a monk uh, uh, sits somewhere for you know a long time and and uh, uh, becomes enlightened as an arhat, he comes out of his his hut, and people say, "Oh, his face is so shiny, right He's exuding this light. Uh, so this has been, since the beginning of Buddhism, this has been uh, the goal of Buddhism. Is In the old days it was the arhats, later it was the bodhisattvas, but their shining countenance uh, is um, expressed as the light of the eyes, the light of the, <coughs> of the face. And when Buddha, Shakyamuni, was, after he had his enlightenment, he came walking and met his five recluses who he was working with. And he said, who's that whose face is shining like that? Then <coughs> they recognized that his enlightenment, enlightenment means light. That's all. Gee, what is enlightenment? You know, when can we <laughs> get enlightened? Well, we're all enlightened because we all have some light, but we have to reveal that light in order to uh, 
uh, express ourselves fully. So the dust, you can say, the dust is greed, the old stereotype, greed, ill will, and delusion. That's, that's our dust of the ego, ego dust. So, um, how is greed, ill will, and delusion transformed into uh, generosity, love, and um, uh, wisdom? That's the trick. Instead of, instead of eliminating them, the ego, greed, uh, greed, ill will, and delusion, to transform that energy. So energy can go any way it wants it to go. It's just raw energy. So the effort <laughs> of ener of is to refine the energy so that uh, it transforms. Delusion transforms into enlightenment with the same energy. It's just how you use it. Um, So we say, we don't try to get rid of delusion. Trying to get rid of delusion is like cutting your arm off in order to be, to um, hand it to Bodhidharma. <laughs> no, uh, it's like cutting off some part of yourself. So if you do that, then there's no way that uh, enlightenment will come forth if we don't, I if we try to get rid of our delusions. So we say enlightenment and delusion are the same thing. Fundamentally. They have different characteristics, but fundamentally they're the same thing. So, there's a lot more to say, but I won't say it because there's not enough time. <laughs> um, but there is time for one or two questions. Yes? Could you elaborate on um, enlightenment and delusion being the same? <laughs> 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 the basic energy is the same, but the characteristics are different. That's all. Those are really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the characteristics of, of delusion, right, are like greed, hate, and delusion. And the characteristics of enlightenment are uh, um, uh, generosity, love, and wisdom, which is the opposite, right? But their fundamental energy is the same. So it's just, it's a matter of, uh, um, turning rather than eliminating. So, uh, 
you know, the world of delusion is basically what everywhere. <laughs> so, and, the, and, and actually enlightenment is also everywhere. So, this is Buddha, this is Bodhisattva, this is Shravaka, these are, these are pra practitioners. This is um, Pacheka Buddhas, I guess I said that, and, and this is Devas. This is the Buddha side. This is um, uh, the heavenly realm where people are so happy that they can't, they, they don't know, they never heard of the Dharma. <laughs> and uh, this is the fighting demon world realm. This is the fighting demon realm where everybody's, you know, lust, lusting after killing. And this is um, the um, animal realm of uh, uh, satisfying the bodily impulses. <laughs> and this is um, th uh, the hungry ghost realm. Hungry ghost is the pretas that have these tiny little throats, but they're so hungry all the time. They're famished all the time because it's, but no matter how much they eat, they can ever be satisfied, like most of us. We all live there. <laughs> this is um, the realm of the hell realm, right? So th th these are the two sides. This is the um, ego side, and this is the dharma side. So we put them together like this. Delusion and enlightenment. This is enlightenment, this is delusion. We put them together like this. So that, that part of the transformation, uh, and because the world is dualistic, we cannot stop it. <laughs> but we can only work with it. And sometimes it goes on the, it goes peaceful, and then it goes war, and then it goes peaceful. And that's the, that's the necessary, unfortunately, cycle of peace and war. One, it goes one way, and the pendulum swings because of the nature of the world. Because everything dies, sort of, so to speak. And everything changes constantly, so to speak. It does. There's enough time. I, I want to talk about time, but I won't because it takes too much time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, we're, you know, e either free of time or, sp or, or, or um, victims of time. So we don't want to be victims of time. We want to be free within time. Um, but we only have so much time. And um, because, of the because of desire, um, we can never reach peace. But even if you reach peace, because the balance is always slipping. <laughs> Nothing is permanent. Nothing is permanent. That's the, that's the story, and that's, that's what we're working with all the time, is impermanence. W um, 
your one generation works for one th peace, you know, and then we think, oh, lasting peace after every war. Oh, it's going to be lasting peace, but that doesn't happen because out of the jaws of war, the people are 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 what are uh, uh, trying as hard as they can to see how they can exploit it. So exploitation is the name of the game of society. Exploitation. In spite of the good things that happen and the goodwill and all that. But exploitation. Where there's money, exploitation. We don't, it's so hard to know the real forces that are creating the problems in the world. Even though we know what they are, we don't always know the details. And the, the worst thing you can think of happening is so other people thinking that too. <laughs> the worst things that you think are, happen are happening. I hate to say that. Also, the best things you can think of happening are happening. But that's the world, good and bad. This is how you bring the world together. This is the Dharma. You bring delusion and enlightenment together. You and try to and make your effort to transform delusion into enlightenment. Enlightenment means non-duality. Suzuki Roshi, my teacher, said, um, the, the problem we have isn't that we have pain and so forth. That's a problem. But the biggest problem is that we don't, is uh, the problem of um, uh, pure practice. Pure practice means practice of non-duality, not falling into one side or the other. Not falling into one side or the other, which is the hardest thing to do. That's why practice is difficult, not because of the pain in your legs, <laughs> but it's hard to practice non-duality, which means the oneness of duality. As long as one side is fighting the other, there's, or trying to, you know, eliminate the other side, it's just war. So peace means bringing both sides together. And uh, when you do that, both sides will beat you up. <laughs> this is what happened to Tick Tick Not On. He tried to um, to bring both sides together in during the war, uh, and neither side, uh, uh, both both sides condemned him because they wanted their side to win. But his he was in the realm of non-duality, trying to transform both sides into peace. Doesn't work. I mean, it's great. You have to do that. You have to, you have to work for peace, no matter how it's going. But that doesn't mean that peace is permanent. We may find peace for a while, and then we find unpeace for a while, and that's the way it goes. And flexibility is the name of the game. Zazen teaches us everything. It teaches us war and peace, good and bad, right and wrong. It teaches us how, in order to be comfortable in Zazen, you have to practice non-duality. That's the only way.
that's how you can sit comfortably for a long time because you're not falling into one side or the other. Like and dislike, good and bad, right and wrong. Just simply letting go of um, contention. Soon as you feel the pain, you say, oh, I don't like this. Soon as you don't like it, you give it, you, you give it its head. Oh, you don't like this, huh? Well, I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like and dislike. It's hard because that's the way we operate. So, um, that's it for now. <laughs> it's a difficult world. We're so lucky to be able to have had good teachers and to practice in this way. It's really, uh, I'm uh, so grateful to have had a really good teacher who, he said, if you sit, you will sit. He didn't say, if you sit zazen, some good things will happen to you. He said, if you sit, you will sit. That's it. That's non-duality. You don't want anything. As soon as you want something, you, you fall into duality. That's why we say, no gaining idea. You don't sit to gain something or to get cured or to get strong legs or to, you know, have better typing ability or something. <laughs> you just <laughs> sit to, to let go, to let go of everything. You know, uh, the way I think about it is you take your ego carefully and you lay it at the feet of Buddha. Buddha takes care of it. I enjoy my ego, I have to tell you. <laughs> but not all of it. <laughs>